Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Ganga, with Consultant 360, a multidisciplinary medical information network. The economic burden of irritable bowel syndrome for patients in the United States collectively is about $1.5 billion to $10 billion per year, which does not include the cost of prescription and over-the-counter medications, according to the American College of Gastroenterology. Here to speak with us today about the high cost of IBS is Dr. Eric Shaw, who is the director of the Center for Gastrointestinal Motility, Esophageal, and Swallowing Disorders at Dartmouth University in New Hampshire. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Shaw. Please give us a brief overview of your study comparing cost and outcomes of treatments for irritable bowel syndrome with diarrhea, cost-benefit analysis. Absolutely. So IBS-D, diarrhea predominant IBS, is very common. It accounts for about half of the patients that we see in gastroenterology, and IBS overall affects about 30 to 40% of patients across the US. Now, most of those patients are not going to be seeking care from gastroenterologists, but it's it's a very common disease and it's, it's probably the most common one that we'll see in our practice. So what comes out of that is prior authorizations, denials, patients can't afford their drugs. And we haven't had much data to help guide those medical decisions on what treatments we should be choosing up front. So what we did is a study that pulled in clinical outcomes data, so efficacy, tolerability, and safety, and then added in the cost data, both from an insurance perspective, but then also from the patient perspective to try to understand what might be driving treatment preferences that might make the prior authorization process make sense or patient choices make sense that we don't realize that maybe we can think about in advocacy and also in our daily practice. Can you tell us more about how this cost-benefit analysis came about? Absolutely. So this came about from the pragmatic realities of checking our electronic inboxes, of looking at our mailboxes, and just seeing a stack of denials and seeing, are there data that we can get that can help with that so that our patients are happier and that we can understand what's going on with the insurance process better to try to make some changes to improve patient outcomes overall. So that's what really started this off to get us, get us going down doing this study. From the study, what were the findings and did anything surprise you? Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, we didn't know what we would find. You know, I think that coming into this, there are many prescription drug agents that are available for irritable bowel syndrome. There are three that are FDA approved for diarrhea predominant IBS. So yes, drugs are expensive, but how much? Is it to the point that prior authorization should be a common problem? Um, and just trying to understand that. And what we found is that, yeah, the on-label prescription drugs are more expensive than off-label treatments. And that's important because the off-label treatments are what the insurance companies are recommending when the on-label drug is denied. And beyond that, we have new behavioral options and dietary options that patients can try. So patients don't have to take pills to treat irritable bowel syndrome. There are low FODMAP options. There are 
cognitive behavioral therapy options that patients can try if they have access to those that are recommended in guidelines and clinical trials. So what we're able to find is that, yes, insurance would prefer that patients don't take drugs because of the cost of drugs, but built into that is perhaps rebates can be put in there and likely are that can help make drugs first-line therapy in some cases. And from the patient perspective, we learned that the cost of food is very important if you're considering dietary management strategy for any disease. And that might not be something the patient would you know, say in the office or that the physician might not realize when they're seeing the patient, but it's very important to talk about upfront. And the second is if we're asking our patients to go seek a therapist or a psychologist, that can involve multiple visits and that's time out of one's day. And so knowing that upfront can help us decide, you know, what's the right treatment for the patient? Is this something the patient's going to be able to engage in or would a pill be preferable? And so there are costs that are built in there, not just money, but also time that we're able to explore that might help us in day-to-day practice to have a better, more fruitful conversation with the patient and choose the more effective therapy. And that's a great segue into the next question that I have is how might these findings impact clinical practice? That's, that's a great question. So from a policy standpoint, we have prior authorizations that have been a challenge. So the system was designed originally for a well-intended purpose of moving low-value treatments or procedures and highlighting those low-value opportunities and nudging physicians and care providers to consider high-value opportunities. The problem now is a lot of drugs are just under the prior authorization umbrella. And we actually, in a separate study, published a survey done with the ACG where respondents to the survey indicated that they stopped considering treatments they would prefer altogether because of the burden of prior authorizations. It's a big issue. So what this study is able to do is put some data behind that problem so that we have effective therapies. How can we solve these cost problems from all sides? Healthcare is expensive, but also not treating disease is, is expensive and is you know, not the right thing either. So how do we get these effective therapies out to patients? And how do we perhaps not get effective therapies out when there's a better lower cost option? And so this actually would, helps to get those, get those data out there to the clinicians as well so that you can have an easier conversation about prescription drug costs, food costs, uh, driving to appointments, driving to therapy appointments, and figuring out what's that best option for the patient that they're willing to do and they think is going to help them out the best in the long run. What are the gaps in the research of IBSD? On the clinical side, you know, we're very good at getting new clinical data on understanding the impact of patient symptoms on their overall quality of life, for example, how treatments impact symptoms, how treatments impact quality of life. You know, one area that is understudied, but very important is on the cost side. So how much do the treatments cost? And that's changing all the time. The different costs that patients incur as they go through healthcare, trying to get back to normal life. And so a lot of research needs to be done to help understand those costs, because what we're finding in this study, at least, is that those costs might be even more important than the clinical outcomes, because we have so many effective options that 
a lot of them work. It's just choosing the one you can afford. So getting that type of research out is, is absolutely key. What's next for research on this topic? So the next step is going to be adding in a lot of our newer therapies as they come out and keeping this up to date as the reimbursement structures change, as there are different opportunities to help get effective either prescription drugs, over-the-counter options, behavioral interventions, out to patients. So as that evolves, it's the most common disease. There's so many different treatment opportunities. We have to keep this up to date. And so that work is ongoing. And the other is this isn't just in the U.S. So is there any way that we can apply this to areas around the world where everybody needs this ki these kinds of data? So can we apply this to other countries and other locales as well? What do you believe is the overall take-home message from our conversation today? Having conversations about cost is very important, and we shouldn't be afraid of it as doctors, as care providers, and as patients. So we need to talk about cost, and we need to do it up front. And ideally, the cost shouldn't mean that we make an inferior choice, but it's good to have that conversation and, you know, if it is a situation where patients are making inferior choices or care providers are, whoever's perceiving that, that's a policy issue. And that's, that's right for taking action to, to try to fix that. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Shaw. Is there anything that you'd like to add that we perhaps didn't cover? No, I think this is a great topic and thank you for inviting me. Of course. Thank you again.